uh, we'll close and open them up to the book of James, James chapter 1. This is God's Word. Every word, every syllable, every, every preposition, every verb, every proper noun, this is God's Word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. This is God's Word. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God shall endure forever and ever. You know, we just preached through the book of Revelation. That may be the, um, you may still be in shock. That's the shortest scripture reading you've probably heard in a while. But we've been through um, the book of Revelation, the last, um, the last book in the New Testament, the last book of the scriptures where it all comes together. Uh, and uh, now we're going to go to the book of James, which is... The first book in the New Testament. You say, well, what do you, what do you mean it's the first book? I thought Matthew was the first book. Well, chronologically, um, this is the first book written um, by either an apostle or a follower of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And today, I'm going to, we're going to start this um, series today. And um, I'm going to give you an overview of the book. You know, I like to do, I like to think big picture. Um, Grant's great at details and... Um, I'm a big picture guy, so we work well together. He'll be doing some expository preaching beginning next week. But I'm going to give you an over, overview, and let me start this way as we get into the, the book itself. Uh, most of you know that um, Philadelphia, uh, the, the Eagles and the Phillies, and um, I'm not sure what, I'm sure they've got a, maybe the Flyers, that's the hockey team. Um, Philadelphia is uh, the city of brotherly love. Everybody probably has heard that. A million times, and that's um, that word. Philadelphia is, is phileo is the first part, which is um, the word is a one of the four loves described in the New Testament. Uh, agape is another, and so forth. But phileo and adelphos um, means brother. So when you put those uh, mix those two words together, you get Philadelphia, um, the city of brotherly love. And the writer of this um, book uses the word Adelphos, it's very significant, I think 19 times in the five chapters of the book. That's a lot if you do the, do the division and so forth. Do the math, right? And this, this overview this morning is going to be a play on that word, Adelphos, brother, okay? And we're going to have three points, and I'm going to tell you the points, okay? Sometimes I don't do that because I like, you know, I'm a teacher and I, I like for you to have to listen. And I always ask Catherine, well, tell me the points. She said, well, I really, I just, I don't, I'm not really sure. But then she'll tell me what they were and I feel better. But I, I'm going to tell you what the three points are. So if you want to write them down. The first um, play on words for brother is, the first point is a, a younger brother who writes, all right? A younger brother who writes as a friend, brother or pastor to other brothers and sisters. That's the second point. First is a a younger brother who writes. Secondly, a younger brother who writes as a friend, a brother or pastor to other brothers and sisters. And the third point is the reason this younger brother writes the way he writes. That's what we're talking about. 
A younger brother who writes, a younger brother who writes as a friend, pastor, brother to brothers and sisters in the church. And lastly, the reason the younger brother writes the way he writes. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you will teach us as we dive into this over the next few weeks. And I pray you would bless us and that you would give all of us, beginning with the pastors, ears to hear and eyes to see your great love and gospel for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, first of all, this is a uh, this book is about a a younger brother who writes and and this point is mainly about who wrote the book of James. Who wrote it? Right? And that's pretty obvious. He said, "Well, you just read it right there. It says um, James, a servant of God." First word. And uh, but the the first word is in the original is Yakovas. And if you know anything about um, Hebrew, you know the the um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, that's, you know we love the name Jacob, but Jacob, um, excuse me, James is a derivative of the name Jacob. I didn't know that till about a year ago. You know we were naming all these grandchildren. We got James and about three or four of them. I can't. I lose track. But uh, but James is a derivative of the great name Jacob. And who wouldn't want to be in that that great triad, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So James um, wrote the book. It says it's very clear from the beginning. But the problem is, is there are several men, and this is this is this will be fun. Okay, it sounds like a, a, a seminary course or something, a Bible. Sunday school, but I think you'll, this will build on um, what we need to hear about this book. But who who is he? There's several James um, characters in the New Testament. There's at least three. Um, so who is this James who wrote this first book in about 43, about th- 10 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Who is this guy, right? Well, most people, and I, I think they're absolutely right, Lots of evidence, lots of reasons to think this. Most um, believe this James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, and Jesus uh, is the Son of God. He, is the, he was born of the Virgin Mary. And Jesus was adopted by Joseph, who raised him as his own son. But again, he, um, but Jesus was the biological Son of Mary and the Son of God. So he is this divine person, one person with two natures. He's he's fully God and fully man, and I can't explain that. And if I could, I wouldn't be up here because he wouldn't be worth talking about um, if he was not fully God, fully man, if he was not this divine person. But he is this great king of our lives and this Lord, this Savior. That's why we preach his gospel. Um, but James, um, James was the full biological child of Joseph and Mary, if you would put it that way. He was one of their children. And that means, and you can see it from other places in Scripture, Jesus had brothers and sisters. And we were talking about, you know, very quickly, as you always say, can you imagine having Jesus as your brother? Right? What do you, what do you think about that, right? Um, lots of conversations, um, good ones, I'm sure. But um, when Jesus started his ministry, uh, his family heard about what he was doing. This is early on in the book of Mark. Uh, first gospel account that was was written was the book of Mark. Why is it not first? Well, this is a different different story about that for a different day. But Mark's the first one in the third and in the third chapter of that first gospel account. 
Um, it says this in chapter 3. This, that's early in the book, okay? It says, when his own people, that means his family, you know, your people, we don't say that much anymore, but where are your people from? When his own people heard about this, this, what is this? Well, all the stuff that Jesus has been doing, he'd been preaching, he made his claims about himself, he'd been healing the sick, he'd been performing miracles and so forth. Um, but probably because of the claims he was making, uh, the kingdom of heaven is near, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 42, I am the, I am the suffering servant that's going to come and change the world. Um, this is what it says, they came... When the, his own people heard about this, all the stuff Jesus was doing, all the things he was saying, they went to take custody, custody of him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And custody is a really good translation. It's a really good word to describe what's going on here because they were doing an intervention, a family intervention. You ever heard of those things? Because they thought Jesus was crazy. Out of his mind. Hey. And James was part of that. Hey, Jesus has lost it. Let's go get him, Mom. And, um, and so they went after him. Uh, wow. But you know what? James winds up believing that Jesus is the Son of God. He realizes that it's really true. Joseph wasn't his dad. <laughs> Jesus was the Son of God in the flesh. And because uh, James believed in who Jesus Christ is, he became this great leader in the early church. And um, he was in charge of what, you know, part of the reason we are Presbyterians and we have, you know, a local group of elders in this church who are responsible for the spiritual climate here. And then we have a presbytery, the next group of elders. That's a, like, you know, the state government, local government, state government, federal government, kind of same pattern. Um, we have pre a presbytery. We have a group of elders here. We have groups of, a group of elders that oversee the churches in this presbytery. And we have a group that supervises all of the um, churches in our denomination and so forth. Um, but they had um, a presbytery meeting in Acts 15. If you were, they called in all the elders because you had all these Gentiles coming into the kingdom, which was exactly what God planned to happen. But you had all this conflict on, well, okay, what do we do with these Gentiles? They haven't grown up the way we grew up. They're not circumcising. Um, they don't practice circumcision. They got all, they're just eating whatever they want to eat, blah, blah, blah. And they, they had to decide on how to accept the Gentiles into the church. And the church listened to James. He is the, the one that was swayed the whole direction of that whole conflict and so forth. Um, wow, what a blessing to have him. That's why you know, James talks about wisdom. He probably prayed for the wisdom of God. I know he did. We'll talk about that in weeks ahead. But according to church history, James wasn't just a wise man. He was also a very, and this is why he was a wise man. He was a very humble man who prayed a lot. And they, this, the uh, early church fathers wrote about him. They said that he had calloused knees like a camel. Have you ever heard that? You know, camels have those big knobby knees because they kneel down so their passengers could get off and so forth. Uh, I don't know how long they stay on their knees. I'm not a camel expert. But um, James, um, they called him camel knees because, you know, they called me bird legs. But they called him camel knees because he was, a, uh, his knee, he was on his knees so much in prayer. He depended on the Lord. 
And he became a martyr. It, he was killed um, in 62 AD by religious people who threw him off of a building. Can you imagine responding to that call? And that didn't kill him. Some guy had, and they got a special name for this club. This guy just beat him to death and put him out of his misery, I guess. But he was killed. He was a martyr, beaten to death. But from church history, putting together the facts from Scripture and so forth, for a lot of reasons, a lot of people, most people who study the Bible have for... 2,000 years, believe that James, um, the younger half-brother of Jesus Christ, wrote this book. All right? It's important to know. Again, what would it have been like to be the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus? Wow. Had some good conversations in Sunday school about family and conflict. Everybody's got conflict in their family. You can't help it. We're all sinners, right? Conflict is part of life. How do you resolve conflict? Through the gospel. You know Jesus, even though his brothers and sisters didn't think he was doing it the right way, he always did. Um, in their pride, they, they probably looked down on Jesus and resented him and so forth. But Jesus always handled things through the love of, love of God and love of neighbor. Wow. We have never known anybody like that in person, have we? Especially in our families, right? Uh, just ask Catherine. Um, secondly... Uh, the book is, uh, is about a younger brother who writes as a friend, who writes as a brother, who writes as a pastor to other brothers and sisters. And so um, Jesus was a brother, a pastor, someone who taught the Word of God to fellow Christians. And if, as you go through this book, um, you'll see that it's very pastoral. Um, and some people actually think this letter is a sermon. But he's always entreating them, brothers, do you not know, brothers and sisters, have you not heard? There's this exchange that's very, very um, um, heart-reaching as he teaches uh, through this letter. Uh, So perhaps this was something, hey, James, you need to write that down. That was a good sermon. Write it down and let's, let's send it to the other churches. I'm not sure, but it is very pastoral. And when he calls, um, I mentioned this before, he, he, call, he uses the word brothers 19 times. And, and ladies, don't be offended by this because that title is for men and women. Men and women. Uh, I think this would cause help us to see um, to get through a lot of conflict we have today as we talk about men and women. Um, J- James is just following the teaching of Jesus and Paul and Peter. In, in God's eyes, all of us, male and female, if Paul says there's neither male nor female in Christ, all of us are firstborn sons. What, what, what does that mean? Does it mean it's better to be a guy than a woman? No, 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 no. God made male and female after his own image, both um, male and female have unique gifts that imitate and reflect the image of God in the world. So both are vital to God's creation. But in that culture, the firstborn got most of the inheritance. That's just the way it worked. Why did the firstborn get all, most of, you know, 90% of it or whatever the figure is? Why was that? Because he was better and special? Well, yeah, because they thought they were better and special, right? Uh, think of the, about the prodigal son, right? That that story. That the firstborn there thought, "Hey, this is my stuff. What are you doing?" Right? No. Um, 
The reason they got all that inheritance was so they could take care of the wife, the, the mother, and the rest of the people in the family to keep the farm, to keep everything going culturally. It wasn't that the firstborn was more important. He just had more responsibility to keep everything floating in the business and in the family after the father passed away. My mother's got a great, um, had a great story about her brother Percy, who when her dad died, um, kept it going, right? And there were 12 of them. And um, wow. And he was revered by the rest of the family because he, he made it happen, right? So in that culture, the firstborn got most of the inheritance. You and I are all considered to be firstborn brothers and sisters, brothers of Christ, because we share in his inheritance. And he wants to share his inheritance with us. And so James taught the Word of God to firstborn brothers, brothers and sisters in the church. And here are some of the things that he teaches about. Um, This is where, um, just a very brief overview of the topics that he speaks about. He, He knew that God's Word was the seed that produces life in us. That great indicative, that great teaching that great truth that you know this is filled with imperatives this 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 book we said in Sunday school what does this book sound like well a lot of there's a lot of commandments in this book right well don't forget that all those commandments flow out of the power of the indicative that God has saved us by his grace and he talks about that he the gospel those powerful indicative um, grace-filled verses are scattered throughout this book to keep our our minds on the fact that this is like Grant said with those three things, justification, sanctification, adoption. All of that's by grace. That's the common word. This is all by grace. It's not God has saved you. Go on. You're on your own now. No, it's all by grace. James knew that God's word was the seed that produces life in us. He teaches about that. He knew the gospel. He knew the promises. He knew the law. And he knew that the law leads us to Jesus Christ. And the law leads us, and God through the law, as we see the grace of God in our lives, that we, we realize that the law is the way to the life that's truly life. God's law is, um, is our power, not the power, but our, just our guide to live the, the way that God wants us to live and, and to obey Him. There's nothing wrong with that word. Obedience. It's important. You want your kids to obey, right? You want your grandkids to obey, so forth. Um, and I don't know what you think about the word obedience, if that kind of, you know, all this is all about grace. But the truth is, and James would say this uh, in, 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 his, in this letter, he alludes to it. Whatever you give yourself to, and hear this. Let me, let me be like James. Brothers and sisters, hear, the, hear what I'm saying, okay? Listen to what I'm saying. This is the truth. Whatever you give yourself to, you will reflect. You will image. You will be like whatever you give yourself to. Because we, we become like what we worship. We can't help it. We're, we're made to be, we're wired to be worshipers. And whatever we worship, we'll end up looking like what we worship. And this, we're not going to get into all this right now, but it, you, you end up looking like the idols that you obey, whatever that idol might be. And any good thing that God gives us can become an idol. Any good thing. 
sexuality, money, the approval of man, and so forth. So what do you look like? What, whose image are you bearing? And that's the, obedience is simply image bearing. So when God says, obey me, he's saying, just reflect my image, right? Just reflect my image. And what could possibly be wrong with reflecting the image of God? I mean, is there anything wrong with that? What's wrong with reflecting God's character? Who knows how to live better than God? He made us in His own image. And who knows more about the life that is truly life than God Himself? But as sinners, we think we know how to live life better than God. That's the bottom line. That started way back in the garden with Adam, and it's still, it's right here in Rick Searle, and it's in everybody in this room. We're just like Jesus' sisters and his brothers. We go to God and say, God, you're out of your mind. You you were crazy. This is not the way to live. (laughs) That's what sin is. We're telling God, he doesn't really know how to live. I know how to live the life that's truly life. Leave me alone. How's that working for you? It's not working good for me. When I do that, it's, it's the Lord has to reel me in constantly, like every day. And renewal is a way of life. He has to point me back to Christ and the, the, the perfect man. Not just because he didn't ever sin. It's because he had a beautiful heart that always loved God and loved people. And that's why God is making us. He's making us into the image more and more of Jesus Christ. James is saying, this is how God wants you to live as children in the community. And by the way, we're naming this series um, Life Together. We're borrowing that, that um, theme from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I didn't get that in the bulletin. That was my, my bad. Um, but we'll make sure that we post that in, on Facebook. But this is about life together. God wants us to learn to do that well. And so... Um, what does, what does James say, the half-brother of Christ, say about living together in the church? Very, very quickly. He says five things. I'm going, to, I'm going to blow through this. First of all, the church, what does the church look like? How should we do life together? Well, first of all, he's going to talk about the church should be made up of rich people and people who aren't so rich. And this is kind of a hard one for Americans. Um, you know, we are not a developing country uh, compared to um, biblical times and to other places and so forth. Most of us in this country are rich. You know, y'all been overseas. You've been to places that, wow, you know, you get back to America. Hey, I'm so glad I'm back to I'm back home, right? But the church should be made up of, of different economic strata. Um, and and in that light, the church should help those in need, especially in the church. James is very emphatic about that. Secondly, the church is a place of righteousness, peace, and joy because of the gospel. And one way to preserve our... And, you know, again, I, I think I want to commend you as your pastor for 20 years. Um, I just think God has always given Faith Presbyterian Church a... A lot of grace in this area. Um, one way to preserve peace and unity and joy is to guard your tongue. And it's, I really have really enjoyed that about Faith Presbyterian Church over the years. Um, it's, it's a 
precious gift. It's a gift of grace. Because not all places are like that. Not all businesses are like that, right? You, you got stories, right? Oh, man, can you believe what he said or she said? Uh, and so one way to preserve peace and joy is to guard your tongue. Uh, and that's not just about, I am not going to say anything about such and such. I'm going to be careful what I say. If you can't say anything good, don't say anything. Something like that, whatever that, however that's saying. No, the, the scripture says that we should build one another up. We should encourage one another. And not all of you have the gift of encouragement. There's a, that's a spiritual gift. But all of you have the Holy Spirit. And we should honor one another over ourselves and we should take the time to speak words of encouragement to one another. Because we... Did anybody here need some encouragement? <laughs> None of y'all? Okay. Forget that. No. We all need encouragement. And we need to Show honor to one another. James talks about that. In, in other words, again, we need to pay attention to God's law because God's law, this is what God's love, uh, law, law is about. The first four commandments are about our love for God. The last are about our love for our neighbor. And so we must love him. We must love our neighbors well by his grace. And I believe that you can make the case in sanctification. Uh, what does it say in there that, that we read? We are being renewed in the image of God. That, that word is so important. We're learning to, to reflect God's heart in the world. That's such an important part of his teaching. And how does James describe God's law in this, in this, this book? He calls it, listen to this, it's the royal law of liberty. We don't think about the law as, as, uh, as being a law of liberty. But his law gives us freedom. His law gives us the, life, the way to the life that is truly life. Again, we can't obey the law in our own strength. Nobody said we could. But once Christ is at work in us, we do begin to love his commandments. It says in Psalm 139, I run in the path of your commandments, for they have set me free. Bearing God's image is the way to freedom in life. And we're learning as Christians, by God's grace, to do that more and more. Because God's law is righteous, holy, and good. And part of that, part of the law, it's not just, okay, we're going to make sure we keep all these commandments. Part of it means that we, we when necessary, we forgive one another. No, isn't that not part of the law? Forgiveness is the greatest expression of loving your neighbor. In this age. How's that working for you? <laughs> Are you growing in your ability to forgive people? Now, you can't do that by yourself either. By the way. You need the strength of Christ. But forgiveness is the greatest expression of love. In this present evil age. Another way. Another thing God talks about. Uh, to preserve the peace and purity of the church. Is to ask God for wisdom. Remember this. He talks about if you lack wisdom, ask God. Ask God for it. He will give it to you freely. Any of you lack wisdom? Again, it's the past. It's your past. Any of you lack wisdom on what to do in life? The decisions you're making in this relationship, or or what kind of job? You, you know, maybe you got a job offer or something. There's a thousand different options, right? Ask God for wisdom. You know, we are a church. Who is in a transition. And I believe it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I am so excited about Grant becoming the senior pastor. And I am excited about helping him and, and tr 
trans, doing this weird transition to being to working with World Reach and going overseas and teaching the Bible, and I'm I'm really excited about this. Um, but you know what? I need wisdom for this. Um, I'm 65 tomorrow. Um, I don't have it all figured out. I need wisdom. Would you pray for me? And would you please? And I love this church. I love you folks. I love y'all. That's why I'm so excited about your new senior pastor. He loves you. He loves you. And you're in good, you're going to be in good hands. And I'm going to be in there, you know, loving you too um, in different ways. But pray for him. Pray for Grant. For wisdom. This is not an easy job. It's nothing like I ever thought it would be. But um, pray for these elders as they lead the church through this transition. Pray for wisdom. That the gospel would continue to grow uh, in the hearts of the people here and that God would use you to, to just share the gospel, the good news of Christ with others in this community. And so this, this letter is about a younger brother who writes to the church and to you through the church over 2,000 years ago, how, how this has been preserved. Uh, it's a... Um, and it's a, bro- a brother who writes as a friend, a brother uh, who's a pastor to other brothers and sisters. But last of all, all, let's answer the question, and you know this. What do we do at this point in the sermon? We just stop, right? This, we stop and we sing to him. We, no, let's talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is the power to do all this stuff. Jesus, the Spirit of God, Himself living in the church, is what makes all this happen. Jesus Himself is the transforming power. So the question is, why does this younger brother write the way he writes? It's because of Jesus. And let me talk about it for just a few minutes, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper. But again, James uses the word brother 19 times in the book. But he uses the word Lord Kurios, which is, I believe you can make the case, the Old Testament name Yahweh in Greek, just like um, James is a form of the Old Testament Yaakov. Kurios is a form of the Old Testament Yahweh. So when the writers of the New Testament talk about Jesus being Lord, they're saying he is God, he's eternal, beginningless person, second person of the Trinity. That's, that's, that's how impactful this, this word should be on our hearts. So he uses that word 14 times. And who is Jesus? Who is he? He's the great brother of brothers. He's the king of glory. And James identifies himself in, in verse 1. He says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he could have said, yeah, I'm a brother. I'm, well, I'm a half-brother. I just... You know, we played wiffle ball together, and you know we were on the all-star team together um, when we were kids. Now he doesn't say that. Uh, he says, "No, I'm a servant of the Lord." And then in verse seven of chapter two, listen to this: Jesus is our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Just that would be something to meditate on. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, he says, Jesus is the greater Job who trusted God in his suffering. He says, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is our true rest. He says, Jesus will come again. He says, Jesus has power to heal us both physically and spiritually. We need to pray. 
for physical healing. We need to pray for spiritual healing. Part of who we are as a people. And he says Jesus is the true combination of the rich and the poor. That's him. Though he was rich, as Paul says, he became poor for our sakes. Though he is a king, he came to serve. James knew his brother as his God and his king. And for that reason, he, was, he wrote all these things in this book. And for that reason, he was a great leader in the church. But again, at one time, he was in that family who thought Jesus was crazy. And so what happened to him? What happened to him? Let me read this from 1 Corinthians. Brothers, I want you to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. What a, what a great... Um, in God's providence to preach James after the resurrection, after resurrection Sunday. Why, am I, why did I say... Listen, keep listening. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles... And last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Jesus appeared to, the, to his half-brother. The resurrected Christ appeared to his brother James. James believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, he realized that everything Jesus said was true. He was not crazy. Our sins can be forgiven. And Jesus has conquered sin and death. And one day we will be raised to be like Him, body and soul. And Jesus, uh, James rather, also realized that, that Jesus is the true older brother that all younger brothers and younger sisters need. Right? He knew that parable. He would have heard Him teach about the two sons. Uh, you remember the parable of the prodigal son? If you all know it, I'm going to tell you very quickly as we wind this up. The, the youngest son says, Dad, I, I'm, ready for you to, um, I'm ready for you to die. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm leaving home. I want my inheritance now. Basically, he's wishing his father would die so he could get everything that belongs to him, right? All the younger brother wanted was the father's stuff. Right? Remember that story? The young man, he leaves home. He wastes everything. And he crawls back home in shame and embarrassment. And he says, Father, I don't deserve to be your son. Treat me as your servant. I've just got to have something. I've got to have a place to stay. I've got to have something to eat. Just let me be a servant on the farm. But what does the father do? He forgives him. And he accepts him. And he receives him, not as a servant, but as a son. And what does he say? Bring a robe. Bring a ring and let's, let's have a feast. Slaughter the calf and let's have this big party and invite everybody in the community and celebrate that my son has come home. He was lost, but now he's found. But that's, that's not the main point. That's the that's story of grace and God accepting us. But that's not the main point of the story. The main point is 
that the older brother, who all the stuff was his, right? <laughs> he is angry. That the father's given the younger son his ring and the robe and he's spending all this money that's really his inheritance. And the story ends that way with the, the son sitting like, is like this, not going to the party. I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there. And Jesus leaves it unresolved for, for a, a real reason. He tells the uh, story to rebuke the, the religious leaders of his day. And here's the rebuke. The older brother should have left home and gone to find his wayward younger brother. He should have brought him home in grace and served him and restored him to the image of his father. That's what he should have done. And that's always been God's call to his people in the Old Testament. Israel was supposed to spread the glorious gospel about the glorious Lord of heaven and earth. They don't do it. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they certainly don't do it. But Jesus Christ, the true older brother, He leaves heaven. He comes to seek and to save the lost. And for that reason, James knew that His glorious Lord was worthy of His life because He had laid down His life for His younger brother and for all who will trust in Him for salvation. He knew that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. And that is the reason that we should do life together as a church. And that's the reason we should live God's life with Him and one another, because Jesus has come to give us the very life of God, to live in His presence, both now and forever and ever. Let us pray.